This final midweek Lenten service presents to us the close of the Passion of our Lord according to St. John's Gospel. From John chapter 19, beginning verse 17. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. It is there that they crucified him, together with two others, one on either side and Jesus in between them. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written stays written. Now when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, they parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did this. Now standing close to the cross of Jesus were his mother, also his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he then said to his mother, Woman, look at your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. Now after all this, Jesus, knowing that it was all now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of the vinegar on hyssop plant and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, in order to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high holy day, the Jews requested Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus... They saw that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. However, 
One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came forth blood and water. He who saw this has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Here ends the holy passion of our Lord according to St. John. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Tonight, Jesus' final parable. Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 14. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called up his servants and entrusted them with his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So too he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went out and dug in the ground and hid away his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you did not winnow. Therefore I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, receive what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have at least received what was my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Also, now cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends the final parable 
that Jesus speaks during Holy Week. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, how did this whole business of Holy Week begin? We're going to hear the full account this coming Sunday for Palm Sunday. And on that particular day, Jesus comes into Jerusalem in order to enter into the temple with great joy as people are holding the branches and waving them, holding them high till Jesus reaches the high altar. And remember what Jesus did in the temple? He tipped over all the bankers' tables. He set free all of the livestock and even the birds and the entire business of the temple ground to a halt. We're told in the gospel accounts that this is why the Jewish authorities therefore got together and started making final, complete, and absolute plans that Jesus is going to be destroyed. The big business of Jerusalem was the temple. The God was not so much that of the true God whom they claimed to worship, but the real God was money. Don't ever say, well, that was then, now we are not that way. Americans have had a reputation for a couple of centuries of being skin-flint Yankees whose only desire in life is not merely to have a good life, but to have a great life. The term Yankee came to mean someone who would cheat the other person out of anything they could just to make money. Who is the God of America? Don't say politics, that only leads to the major God. Don't say power, that just leads to the major God. The real desire of the old sinful nature of us all has to do with this desire that if we can acquire and have and hold safely this thing called money or mammon, that we will be at peace. We can handle any problem. We're safe and secure behind our bank accounts. We shouldn't be afraid of anything. This is the same problem in Jerusalem. Lip service to the true God, whereas their real God that they worshipped and adored and would give anything for was that of mammon. The Jewish authorities are not much concerned about Jesus' teaching except when it attacks them. Their main concern is, will the Romans come and take away our position, our power? If that happens, the money goes away, along with the power. This parable that Jesus tells is about something that would have pricked up the ears of all of the Jewish people, especially the Jewish leaders. They're talking about big money. Those fellows dealt in big money. This was, in fact, the biggest moneymaker in all of Judea. As in Luther's day, also the matter of sin and guilt in a made-up place called Purgatory, brought in hundreds of thousands of florins into Rome. Religion is big business when it is morphed into false religion.
Remember, talents are ingots, ingots of silver. These men dealt in that kind of money. And of course, there was always the, the payoff to Rome. This parable is about a certain man, a very rich man, who was very gracious to his servants. Instead of doing the business himself, he entrusts them with certain amounts because he knows their ability. He's probably taught them they can handle this very important position. He divvies out these talents to his servants for the very purpose that they may make more money. I can just see the Jewish authorities paying close attention to this one because this is what they did. The people that sold cattle, even down to birds and pigeons, they were entrusted with part of the business, and they were expected to make money not merely for themselves, but for the high priests. And when you get especially to the money changers, who exchange that evil Roman currency with impressions of Roman emperors on it, and changed it into holy temple money. There was a cut that went to the high priests. And as for the sacrifices, you could lose in one of two ways. If you bring in your own animal for sacrifice, they would examine it for a fee, and if it didn't pass, that's too bad. Then you had to buy one of the certified animals in the temple. So many people just forgot the business of bringing in their own, and they'd just pay the exorbitant price for a holy cow. I'm not talking about the cubs. This business of making money, that was the root of everything that was really going on in the temple at the time of Jesus. Luther saw it as the same problem happening in the temple in Rome. By the year 1517, Martin Luther, because of his forced study of scriptures, found that the true treasure of the church is not money or ostentation or power. It's not even, as some tried to say, the people of God. It's the people of God who are to share in the great treasure of the church. What is the great treasure of the church that God wants to expand and become greater and given more and more widely until all the world hears about it? It's the gospel of what the Messiah will be doing on Good Friday. Behold the Passover Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's going to be accomplished on Good Friday. What is this therefore talking about? Each of us is a servant. And each of us has been entrusted by Christ with this precious gospel. I'm going to look at the parable backwards. The fellow who only gets one ingot, one precious ingot of silver, is the one who in effect, receives the gospel. And he does not want to make it multiply. 
He's just afraid that somehow or the other, having this gospel for himself, that he might lose it. So he does a ridiculous thing, and this is probably Jewish humor. He goes out into a field and buries it, hoping, of course, that he can remember where he has buried it. And you wouldn't want to mark it too well because someone else might figure there's some stuff down there. It was well known in ancient times that people who hid things in fields often couldn't find it again. Remember the one parable Jesus tells about a fellow who found, happened to chance upon a great treasure in a field, which wasn't his. So he sells everything he has and acquires that field so that he can get that treasure. The guy that keeps the treasure of the gospel for himself and then buries it so that no one can find it is the one we should watch out for. I have a suspicion that every single one of us has at least one neighbor, someone on the block, a relative, who knows absolutely nothing about this most precious treasure of the gospel, that the Son of God dies for the sins of the world and wants you to have the free access into eternal life. Am I not right? We may say to ourselves, oh, that person's never going to listen. It won't work. It's a hard business that Jesus gives us to be evangelists. Notice what this guy says to his master when he's called to settle. That's a picture for judgment. Master, I knew you to be a hard scleros in Greek. That means unreasonable, tight-fisted, mean, hard-hearted man. The opposite of mercy, the opposite of the gospel. To be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid. He's blaming the master for giving him too hard a job. Why, that's why most of American Christianity leaves this whole business of multiplying the gospel, of spreading it around to all the neighborhood, to, <clears throat> excuse the expression, the professionals. Do you realize that even sometimes I, as the professional, look at that task as being extremely difficult as well? Maybe you don't realize that when I go down the street, I guess there's a certain way I walk or the way I dress or maybe I'm carrying a Bible of all things, that people, if they're out doing something in the backyard, will scoot in the house. <laughs> and I can ring the doorbell and miraculously the, the lights in the house all go dark. <laughs> they won't answer. There's been times when I've said to Christ, why did you give me this job? Because I seem to be doing it so badly. The way to get around it is that 
I don't do it myself. What am I fishing for? The times when this congregation did its best at sharing and multiplying the gospel is when there were people that took the time and sometimes the aggravation of going out themselves, as I would direct them, or going out with me, and that's when they'd actually get people who would listen. Remember Larry Genther? Big Larry Genther. People loved to talk to Big Larry Genther. They weren't afraid of him. He was a gentle giant. Or Marie Glassmoyer, little Marie. She loved to do that too. When we together understand that we should be like the other servants who realize that the master really doesn't know what he's doing, he's not making some mistake, he's not being hard and unfair and mean by dumping a job on you that you can't do, whenever we have that idea, nothing works well. There is no increase of the gospel, and you might as well just bury it. But it's not to be buried. Since this is probably the last midweek Lenten service I will do here, officially, hmm, where is he going? I'm going to give you a warning. When the district comes in to prepare for the process of getting ready for a new shepherd, they will have this congregation have a very difficult self-analysis of how it's doing and what it's doing. How are we actually doing at multiplying and sharing the gospel? I'll ask that of you now because the district will ask it later. For that business of multiplying the gospel, the good news of Christ's forgiveness and peace is the main thing that this church exists for. No offense to good meals, but it's not potlucks. No offense to the carnival, but it's not having fun. It's not even taking a really great field trip on a bus to Lansing, Michigan to celebrate the 500th anniversary. The main thing is the main thing as some football, excuse me, baseball guy said. It's sharing the gospel. For those that take up this responsibility joyfully, trusting that the Savior knows what he's doing, there is this wonderful statement that we can look forward to be said to us. Well done, O good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That is said of the first two servants. Not merely well done in a legalistic way, but beautifully done. Kalos in the Greek. What a wonderful thing. What will motivate us to share this precious gospel with anybody around us has nothing to do with pastors getting on your tail about your not doing it. It'll be like this past Sunday when I chased Ken down the middle of church. It's the gospel itself that has the motivation. 
we know the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that's what causes us to receive this wonderful opportunity, this very faithful activity that he gives to us. And he himself gives us the strength to do it. It's not our doing. It's Christ that's working in us. Of course, this is Lent, and there's always the kicker. The guy that had the talent and was very graciously able to find it in the field receives no accolades. It's taken away, and then the other servants are told, throw that worthless, it also means useless servant, throw him out into the outer darkness, and instead of the wonderful statement of, well done, thou faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master, there's that judgment. Outer darkness for men will be weeping and gnashing their teeth. That's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to enter the joy. He who is the master of our gracious salvation. And the more we understand our need for that gracious salvation and believe it by faith, the more we will be motivated to be as those faithful servants. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.